Welcome to the second weekly omnibus edition of David's Daily Digital Dollop. I had a crazy idea in 2016 that I would release a podcast every single day. I'm recording this in 2022, where I've had the idea that it seems ridiculous to have 366 podcasts just for one year. So instead, I'm trying to streamline things, and so I've created these weekly omnibus editions. And these are the dollops from week two. When you hear this sound... It means we're moving on to the next dollop. And we start with one of my personal favourite dollops. Don't worry, I have quite a lot of personal favourite dollops, so it's not as if it's all downhill from here. I remember particularly enjoying writing this one, getting really immersed in it, and then really enjoying the acting. See what you think as we head into the second weekly omnibus edition of David's Daily Digital Dollop. After a two-year dalliance with an Apple Mac, not like that, you dirty animals, I'm now back to using Windows more or less entirely. Don't worry, this is not going to be a blog post exclusively for nerds. I haven't used my Mac for a couple of months, but I needed to turn it on in order to get some files off it. A few seconds after switching the computer on, I got a huge shock. The Mac, as if indignant at my betrayal, made a deafening sound. It was so loud that it caused the people that I'm living with to wake up with a jolt. This was not the first time that it had happened, although I'd never experienced it at such a high volume before. The sound was the generic Apple Mac startup sound that occurs a few seconds after turning on. I think it remembers where your volume was set to the last time you were using the computer and chimes accordingly. The last time I used the Mac was during a gig and the computer was connected to a mixing desk and set to the highest possible volume, hence its ferocity. There is no way that I have found to circumvent this sound. Even when you plug the headphones in, the sound still plays through the speakers. If I forget to set the volume to a low level before shutting it down, then there is nothing that can be done about the loudness of the sound when it turns back on. This is not the first time that I have woken people up with the Mac startup sound, nor am I the only person who's experienced this. The young'un's very own Michael Hughes has got into trouble off his girlfriend for turning on the computer in the middle of the night, unable to sleep, and then waking the entire house up with the cursed Apple startup sound. And once the button has been pressed, nothing can help you. If you press the on button and then realise with horror that the laptop volume was set to high before you shut it down, and is therefore about to seriously piss off your girlfriend, waking her and the entire entire household and all the neighbours down the street up, there is nothing that you can do to stop it. You are powerless. Frantically pressing volume down repeatedly is useless. The Mac plays the sound just as loud as it deems fit. Plugging headphones in won't help you. The Mac doesn't give a toss. It will chime loudly through the speakers regardless. It may even chime through the headphones as well, meaning that if you're wearing them when it chimes, you are likely to scream out loud in shock of hearing such an ear-splitting noise directly fed into your ears. There isn't enough time to run out of the room with the laptop, hoping to get far enough away from sleeping people. You have about two seconds till the hideous loud noise begins. The battery packs on the Macs are completely covered over, so you can't even yank the battery out. And don't go thinking that holding down the off key immediately after switching it on is going to help you either, because it won't. All that will happen then is that the sound plays, your girlfriend wakes up, The Mac then powers down, your girlfriend slaps you, and you're back at square one. If you really do need to use the computer, then you have no choice but to switch it back on again and let the chimes of doom seal the deal on your breakup once and for all. I don't know whether I have any readers to this blog or listeners to this podcast who work as spies. I would imagine one of the first things you'd learn in spy school is not to use an Apple Mac computer. 
Okay, we've managed to smuggle ourselves under the cover of darkness into the enemy's headquarters. I know. I can't believe it. The place had cameras everywhere. Then there was that crazy alarm system with the 30,000-digit code, which you managed somehow to know and enter correctly, while all the while being chased by that giant killer robot. Oh, but then, when we were caught by those armed security guards, I really thought our game was up. But then you pulled it out the back again, managed somehow to seduce every single one of those security guards, convinced them to partake in bondage, tied them up, and shot them all. Oh, that was out of this world. Oh, and the sex was pretty good too. And then, just as I thought we'd finally made it, we were presented by another control panel, and somehow you managed to guess the 140,000 digit code. And now here we are. Oh, now what do we do, boss? When you're in this game, son, you've got to think of everything. Codes, alarms, security guards... Killer robots disguised as harmless-looking teapots. <laughs> I've seen it all before. Ah, I wondered why you went crazy earlier when you saw that old teapot. I thought it was a bit unusual when you opened fire on it, but uh, I didn't want to say anything at the time. <laughs> it didn't really seem appropriate, plus you, you had that weird look in your eyes again. Son, when you've been a spy as long as I have, you learn to trust nothing. Especially teapots. Although... On this occasion, it did turn out to be just a teapot. Antique, Chinese, one of the few surviving teapots from the, the Chinese Qing Dynasty during the Quanlong period, circa 1736 to 1795. Ashamed to have riddled it with bullet holes, as it would have fetched quite a bit at auction. Or I could have just taken it home and given it to my wife, but never mind. Anyway, I can't sit here under the floorboards of an enemy's headquarters chatting about antique teapots all day. There's work to be done. All I need to do now is log on to their mainframe, which is a piece of cake. I can't believe they thought that I wouldn't see through that disguise. Hiding your mainframe computer inside a piece of cake. Why, that's one of the oldest tricks in the book. Once I've hacked into their mainframe, then I'll shut them down forever. The bastards. And then we'll have a slice of cake to celebrate. <laughs> A shame I got rid of the teapot. It would have been nice to have had some tea with it, too. I've got some lovely chamomile tea bags in my pockets. <laughs> Calms the nerves down, you see. You need something to calm you down after a hard day's work, sexing armed security guards and smashing up antique robots. Victory is in sight, my friend. Thirty years of my life I've worked on this. Thirty years of my life I've waited for this moment. Thirty years. And now, finally, finally... All I need to do is turn on the computer, enter the 750,000-digit code, which fortunately I had the foresight to copy to the clipboard in advance, and then watch their evil empire crumble. I must admit, when my bosses told me that I had to take the work experience boy with me on this mission, I was, quite frankly, livid. I thought having you here would ruin everything. But you've done good, boy. You've done real good. Anyway, this is the end. Turn on the computer. Turn on the computer, son, and let's end this now. Okay, boss. Here goes. Hang on. What? Is that a Mac? You brought a Mac? You idiot. Don't, don't, don't turn it. Shit. 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 Oh, I hate you, Steve Jobs. Ah, look who it is. <laughs> Hello again, my old friend. I knew we'd get him one day. Foiled by an Apple Mac computer. Did that man not go to spy school? Oh, we've been through some scrapes together, haven't we, my old friend? 
Remember that time when you thought you seduced me, had sex with me, and then you thought you'd kill me? No, I was on to you. I ran away straight after the sex. I didn't even need to have sex with you, but I just felt like it. Well, you've never forgiven me for that. We could have been good together. So good together. You had to be one of the good guys. <laughs> oh, well, I best we guess search his pockets. See if he's got any information to give us. Oh, what's this? Hmm, chamomile tea. Oh, very nice. Oh, I shall have some of that later. Calm my nerves down. It's been a bit of a stressful day. Not to mention all those dead security guards with glazed expressions on their faces. Uh, I know what you did with them, you dirty dog. <laughs> then again, I can't imagine a Windows computer doing much better in a planet-saving mission. Okay, we've got just seconds to spare. All I need to do is type in the code and take the enemy's weapon system out. Yes! Got it! Okay, now I just need to press the Enter key and the world will be saved. Oh no, what's this? Windows has encountered a problem and needs to close? Oh, I'm trying to save the planet, goddamn! I was just seconds away. What, do you want to send a problem report to Microsoft? This will help us fix this and similar problems in the future? <laughs> there is no future, Microsoft! There is no future! We're all doomed! What? Hang on. What's happening? Why aren't we dead? Oh, it turns out that the enemy was using Apple Maps to locate us. So, uh, they've got their lasers pointed in completely the wrong direction. <laughs> they've just blown themselves up. Brilliant. Disaster averted. Well, I might as well restart this computer and have a cheeky game of spider solitaire. I slide my hand behind her head and bring my mouth down on hers in a hard, demanding kiss that stirs up a raw hunger. A kaleidoscope of emotions rip through me, but the prime one, need. It spreads through me, not slowly, but like wildfire, burning everything in sight. I feel the softness of her body pressing through the thin fabric of my shirt, the erotic slide of her tongue against mine, and desire escalates to a dangerous blaze. Her arms are flung around my neck, and she purrs deep in her throat, like a thoroughly contented kitten. Rock hard, I feel her tug my shirt out of my trousers and slide her hands over my skin, clearly greedy to touch me. <laughs> and I am equally greedy to touch her, my fingers now on her buttons, loosening them, giving me access to the smooth, creamy skin revealed by the lace of her bra. My body craves hers. It is a visceral, physical need that drives all thought from my brain. But now, she stills, places her hands on my chest and draws her mouth away from mine. Sensing her change, I stop myself from dragging her back. Why are you describing everything we're doing in great detail? Ah, damn, you noticed. I thought that my passionate antics were so intense that you wouldn't realise that I was commentating everything that was happening into a hidden digital recorder so I could transcribe it later for my blog. I knew after all this lovemaking, I was bound to be tired for most of the following day, so I figured that I, I could save myself some time by writing this blog essentially tonight. But my cover has been blown. Well, that's the only thing that's going to be blown tonight. Oh, come on, I think that joke was a bit obvious, if you don't mind me saying. Yes, I bloody well do mind you saying. And stop trying to change the subject. How 
dare you? I can't believe you were recording everything and commentating on it for your blog. Look, you don't understand. It's not easy writing a blog post every day, you know. I'm finding it hard to keep it up. <laughs> well, it's probably for the best that we stop that, isn't it? You should maybe go to the doctors about that. Oh, come on. That's another really obvious joke. I bet you'll still put them in the blog, though, won't you? You'll be so desperate for material that you'll include it. I won't. I have loads of jokes of my own. I won't need to use your predictable erectile dysfunction gag. Well, we'll see, won't we? But if you do use my jokes, then you better credit me. If you claim them as your own, then I'll leave a comment on your website telling everyone about that weird fetish you have with the... All right, all right, fine. If I'm really short of material and I resort to using your tacky penis jokes, then I promise to credit you. Oh, and just for the record, I did not purr like a thoroughly contented kitten. I had a bit of mucus lodged at the back of my throat that I was trying to shift. Purrs like a thoroughly contented kitten indeed. You are weird. That's the kind of thing that people write in these romantic novels. When you write up this blog post, I want you to tell everyone the truth. I want them to know that I was merely clearing some mucus from the back of my throat. I can't write that. It would sound completely hideous. Ridiculous. It would ruin the narrative. It would spoil the sexy vibe. Going. I'm not having people thinking that I was purring like a thoroughly contented kitten, David. It's embarrassing. Look, if you don't tell them that I was clearing mucus from my throat, then I shall leave a comment on your blog telling everyone about that weird thing that you did with them. Okay, okay, fine. Let's compromise. How about I just play this recording into some speech recognition software and just upload the transcript of this conversation for tomorrow's blog post? Except none of that actually happened. But then you knew that already, didn't you? I pilfered the opening of this blog post, including the purring kitten line from a romantic novel called Suddenly Last Summer by Sarah Morgan, which I found by googling ridiculous romantic fiction extract. Hello to Chloe, who commented on yesterday's blog post saying, David, might there be a gap in the market for erotic fiction recited in a northern accent? I think it's clear what Chloe is driving at here. She was obviously turned on by my reading of the erotic fiction extract at the start of yesterday's podcast version of the blog. I think that Chloe is, in a roundabout way, essentially putting in a request for me to release a kind of erotic fiction audio series. But she's a bit timid about asking in such a brazen way, so disguised her desire in a sentence that sounded a bit more nonchalant and a little tongue-in-cheek. Which actually reminds me of one of the scenes from that erotic novel. I believe a little tongue-in-cheek was actually one of the chapter titles. I'm glad you enjoyed yesterday's blog post, Chloe. I'm sorry I had to ruin it for you by curtailing the fantasy before it properly got going. I am able to view various statistics for this website, including what pages people have visited on my blog, but it also tells me what external links people have clicked on. Only one person so far has clicked on the link that I put on yesterday's blog post linking to the erotic fiction novel that I pilfered from. I think we all know who that is, don't we, Chloe? It won't be the same, though, without me reading it. Also, I've noticed that every day, there's always at least one person who visits a particular blog that I wrote years ago. I can't help feeling that nearly every single one of these people have been bitterly disappointed upon discovering what it is. The name of the blog post is Mongol Sex. It talks about the fact that a few years ago, I noticed that one particular blog post was getting more visitors than all the other pages on my site. The blog post was detailing why I've always been interested in radio, and tells the story of when I was seven-year-old, listening to an old shortwave radio late at night under the bedclothes. The shortwave frequency boasted every type of radio station from every place on the earth. I remember tuning in to a French radio station one night to hear the sounds of two women groaning, at first being only seven 
of the time, I assumed that perhaps they were in pain. But as I listened longer, I realised that they were very much enjoying themselves. I got my first sex education lesson about lesbianism thanks to French shortwave radio at the age of seven. I was also the only person in my class to have been fluent in French. Well, sadly, the teacher wasn't impressed by me knowing the French for dildo. Still, you never know when such information might come in handy. In case you're interested, it's... Oh, now, I live with a French person. I could have asked her in advance. Godemichier. 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 <laughs> if she can hear this now, she's going to be wondering why I'm shouting Godemichier randomly. <laughs> So now you don't need to Google it, Chloe, pretending that it's merely an innocent linguistic curiosity, because I've just told you what it is. So if you want to Google French dildo, then that's fine. But don't try and pass it off as anything else other than your rampant sexual desire to see some French lesbian action, Chloe. All right. It's perfectly acceptable, Chloe. Just be honest, and we'd respect you a lot more for it. The slightest touch of the knob, by which I mean the radio knob, you dirty animals. Chloe, calm down, can tune into a completely different story and into a completely different world. One moment, you're listening to an enraged American evangelist damning you to hell in a threatening, deep, gruff voice unless you send him money. Then you touch the dial ever so slightly and you're listening to a French radio drama with lesbian sex scenes. Then the sound of a Mongolian throat singer belting out the popular Mongolian hits of the day. You know, the kind of thing. We've all got, now that's what I call Mongolian throat singing volume one and most of us probably have volume two as well. Volume 3, a bit more, a bit rarer. I think, to be honest, they were just scraping the barrel by Volume 3. So basically, I wrote a blog about my formative radio experiences, and I ended up getting loads of visitors for it, although when I did some digging into the stats, it soon became clear that people had come across my website because they had Google-searched terms such as Mongol sex, Mongolian sex, Mongolian lesbians, Mongolian lesbians dildo deep throat. All words that appeared in my blog post only in a very different order and in a very different context to the one hoped for by the Googlers. I'd imagine that you'd have to go quite a way down the search results before my blog post came up. But some people do find it by Googling those words, which makes me wonder just how insatiable their appetite must be for this kind of thing. They must have already looked at tons of porn sites, but still felt that they'd not seen quite enough Mongolian lesbian sex scenes yet, so just kept ploughing deeper and deeper through the internet. Feverishly, their hands shaking, they clicked onto my website, and instantly their hearts sank, as presumably did the bulge in their pants, when a photo of me popped up on the screen, and their eyes scanned the disappointing litany of words about some seven-year-old's boring experience of shortwave radio. Oh, well, at least I learnt the French for dildo, I suppose. So I suppose it's been a bit educational, and in fairness, I have wasted the entire day watching Mongolian lesbian sex scenes. Oh, and I've still got tomorrow's sermon to write. Ha-ha! See what I did there? Pow! He's a priest, adding another unexpected layer of comedy. I'm unstoppable. I wonder if anyone will find this blog post now by Googling Mongolian lesbian sex deep throat dildo priest. Time will tell. I wonder if I have any regular listeners to this blog who have stumbled across me when searching for porn and then got hooked, apart from Chloe, obviously, who's never commented on any of my other blog posts before, but suddenly comes out of the woodwork when I start writing erotic fiction. Last night I had a dream in which I was having an argument with my ex-girlfriend. I can't remember what we were arguing about, but I do know that I was definitely right and she was most certainly wrong. 
The argument was getting quite heated and seemed to have been going on for some time. Eventually, our verbal exchange reached its peak, and I think we might have been just about to reach the angry makeup sex stage. Of course, this coincided with my alarm going off. I think that my ex knew exactly what she was doing. The makeup sex idea was definitely engineered by her. In the dream, I thought that she was just being reconciliatory. But now that I see this in the light of day, I'm convinced that she knew exactly what she was doing, timing her amorousness to deliberately to coincide with my alarm going off, giving her the last laugh and hammering the final nail in the coffin. But you'd have to ask her that if you really wanted to know. Although, trust me, she'd deny any of it ever happening and say that it was my own imagination just making it up. But again, that's just the kind of thing that she would say. And believe me, sneaking into her ex-boyfriend's dream to taunt him is precisely the kind of thing that she'd do. And I am not paranoid. I am not. Who said that? Shut up, I am not paranoid. However, the dream did give me a topic for this blog. I started thinking about how blindness influences the way that I behave when it comes to potential areas of conflict, such as an argument. Being blind can make it difficult to be charismatic or authoritative. If you can't see, then it seriously can impair your ability to make a dramatic exit. Let's use the example of a heated argument between a blind man and his partner. You've got away with this for far too long. Well, let me tell you, I don't need you anymore. I'm out of here. The blind man declares, his head held high in triumph. In truth, he was quite pleased of this passionate soliloquy. He'd made his point very well, very forcefully. Now, all he had to do was storm out of the room. That's what was needed now, a dramatic exit. So, with his head still held high, he walked in the direction of where the door was. Except it wasn't. He crashed into the wall, bruising his chin. Maybe holding his head up high wasn't helping matters. He needed to focus his vision down, closer to the ground, because his eyes didn't focus properly at this height and angle. It was a shame to lose the head held high posture. He was pretty sure that it helped add extra indignation and charisma to his exit, but he was also aware that he was in serious danger of losing both of those things completely if he crashed into another wall. He needed to find the door, maybe make one final declaration. He quite liked the I don't need you anymore, I'm out of here. He thought that was uh, quite effective. He would show her. He would leave her with that ringing in her ears. He could just imagine her now sobbing on the phone to her friends, reciting that line to them, barely able to say the words through her tears. And it would serve her right. (laughs) But the door. He must find the door. They'd put it here somewhere. He could see a jet of light in the corner of his left eye, coming from across the other side of the room. That must be where the door is, he surmised. The glass panels of the door must be amplifying the light. All he needed to do was walk towards the light. Shit! He screamed. His nose was burning. The light was a candle. He brushed the hot wax off his nose. Ideally, he'd take some cold water to the burn, but there wasn't time for that. He realised that he was really starting to lose face here. He must find the door. Then he heard his girlfriend sigh wearily. She stood up, took his arm, and gently escorted him to the door. Well, that didn't go as well as he'd planned. But still, he was at the door now. All he needed to do was cry his ardent farewell and give the door a good slam behind him. Then he'd be out of that house and out of her life, and that would show her. He was at the door now. He unlinked his arm from hers, turned to face her, and yelled, Yes, as I said, I don't need you anymore. I'm out of here. Yes, of course he was aware of the irony. But now that she'd guided him to the door, he didn't need her anymore. 
He grappled for the handle. Where was the sodding thing? After a few seconds of fumbling, his girlfriend gave another weary sigh and opened the door for him. Again, he became acutely aware of the increasing irony. Maybe he should shout that he didn't need her anymore again. After all, she'd taken him to the door and opened it for him. For now, he didn't need her anymore. Yes, so, as I said, I don't need you anymore. And I'm out of here. Hmm... The words didn't sound quite as powerful and as sincere and as authoritative that time, did they? Still, he could reclaim the moment by giving the door a good slam behind him. He stepped out of the house and reached for the handle to give it one big, dramatic, final slam. But again, the handle completely eluded him. Where the heck was it? He fumbled for a while. He was losing the moment again. Aha! He found it. He grabbed the handle forcefully. He wanted to get a good angle, to make the slam as loud and as intense as he possibly could. But then he realised that the door was already shut. His girlfriend must have shut it gently behind him. Damn her! Well, he'd show her. But he'd just have to open the door and then slam it closed. Not as powerful an exit as he'd have liked, but better than nothing. Perhaps he should shout, I don't need you anymore, I'm out of here, again. But maybe three times would be overkill. He took hold of the handle, pulled the door back open, and then slammed it shut again. In fairness, it was a pretty forceful slam. He was quite proud of it. It was a shame that it was seriously tempered by the debacle that had just preceded it, but at least he'd got the slam in. Now, all he had to do was just walk away. Except he'd forgotten his cane. With all the drama, he'd completely forgotten about his cane. He couldn't go anywhere without it. There was nothing for it but to open the door and ask for it back. He opened the door again and diffidently cleared his throat. <clears throat> I need my cane. She sighed that weary sigh again. She handed him the cane. But I, I don't need you anymore. And I'm out of here. But he knew it was useless. He'd lost the moment completely. This wasn't the charismatic noble exit that he'd imagined. He knew he'd lost. Yesterday was a great day for equality. A member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster won a battle to be allowed to appear in his driving licence photo wearing a colander on his head. He claims that the colander is part of his religious dress and that denying him the right would be discrimination. Fortunately, the powers that be saw sense and, after a bout of indecision, acquiesced. I did think about trying to conduct another interview with a member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster but thought that two blog posts in a fortnight containing loads of pasta puns might test your tolerance levels a bit too much. In other news, we have a new kettle. Excellent transition. Normally, I wouldn't bother to tell you about the purchase of fairly standard domestic appliances, but this kettle is a special kettle. It is a kettle that you can control by your phone, tablet, or Apple Watch. The app has a bland, uninspiring name, so much so that I can't actually remember what it is, but I think they're missing a trick by not calling the app Polly. It could also be voice activated, so when you wanted to use the kettle, you merely had to say, Polly, put the kettle on and we'd all laugh wouldn't we you don't just get tea but you get humor as well hilarity <laughs> i also had an idea for the apple watch version of the app when the app loads up it should show the words an apple watched kettle always boils sadly this wouldn't work for the phone or for the tablet version however if the phone and the tablet app are anything to go by then this particular statement would be incorrect anyway as in actuality the kettle only seems to boil one in every 30 attempts by which point you might as well have just crossed the room and turned the bloody thing on i think this is a case of technology going one step too far 
car, adding a needless level of complexity to the more straightforward of tasks. My two housemates, Ben and Elsa, have spent about a day trying to work this thing. Firstly, you need to make sure that there is actually water in the kettle. This means that you have to remember to fill the kettle back up as soon as you've made your tea, otherwise you won't be able to use the kettle app, because we haven't yet reached the technological age that means that the kettle can turn on the tap and fill itself. I would argue that this, rather than simplifying the tea-making process, complicates it, because you're going to have to train yourself to remember to fill the kettle back up after you've made the tea, and who is honestly going to remember that? You know for a fact that you're going to forget, so that the next time you want tea, you'll need to go into the kitchen and fill the kettle before you can use the app, which would then be stupid because you're literally standing at the kettle, so why not just press the button on the actual kettle? Of course, you could, I suppose, fill the kettle to the brim, so that would maximise the number of boils that you could get before you needed to fill it back up. But this adds a whole new range of problems. Firstly, this is far from environmentally friendly, and the last thing I want to do is incur the wrath of the gods again after my toilet paper fiasco. Nor is it particularly energy efficient. This kettle has the potential to double your electricity bills, not to mention the extra power being used to keep the kettle's inbuilt Wi-Fi receiver running 24 hours a day. Of course, you could turn the kettle's Wi-Fi connectivity off, but then you'd have to keep going back to the kettle every time you wanted to use the app just so that you could turn the Wi-Fi back on, which again would defeat the whole purpose of having an app because you're right by the kettle. Also, having the kettle filled right to the top would mean that it would take much longer to boil than it ordinarily would. It would be a massive waste of time and energy, especially if you were just making one cup of tea. You'd have to boil an entire kettle's worth of water. So far, we have been able to boil the kettle from the dining room, which is about 10 metres away from the kitchen where the kettle is housed. We did try boiling it from my bedroom, but uh, we got an error message telling us that the kettle was not in range. (laughs) Surely that is the whole point. If the kettle is in range, then I'd just press the bloody button on the kettle and boil it the old-fashioned way, wouldn't I? But this is 2016, and apparently that way just isn't cutting it anymore. Eventually, we got it working again. Uh, The app advised us to go to the base of the kettle and reset the Wi-Fi receiver. We were then able to go back up the stairs and boil the kettle from my bedroom. But then we had to go down the stairs again to make the tea. This is the most ludicrous and pointless invention. It's only a matter of time before it breaks again. I don't think I'll be using the app part of the kettle. I am happy with the traditional way of operating kettles. Plus, with all the stress that using the app would cause, I have the feeling that if I kept using it, the only thing that's going to be steaming is me. Because the kettle certainly won't be. My real-life kettle nightmare, as discussed in yesterday's dollop, seems to have brought about a literal nightmare, and one which was far more dramatic and dark. My dream began with a man sitting in a futuristic-style house where all the domestic appliances were controlled by computer, phone or tablet. He was sitting at the kitchen table waiting for the kettle to boil when his TV switched itself on. The man was confused as he hadn't given the instruction for that to happen. Then the words, you're going to die, flashed up on the screen. The words were also proclaimed over the speakers. At this point, the kettle began to levitate and fly towards the man. Quickly, the man leapt up from the table and began to run while the kettle pursued him. Now and again the kettle would get close enough to him to tip some of its boiling water onto him, but not close enough for the whole contents to scold him. He fled in the direction of the nearest door, but it wouldn't open. He frantically, repeatedly pressed the button on his phone that usually opened the door, but the words 
you're going to die, just kept flashing up at him. The kettle had now gained on him and began to tip boiling water over his head. He shrieked in pain and ran in the opposite direction. The kettle did not follow. It had ran out of water and needed to be filled back up. Sadly for our friend from the future, kettle technology had moved on in leaps and bounds from today, and so the kettle was able to fill itself back up from the tap. He made it to the door at the opposite side of the room, leading to his office. He heard the kettle begin boiling again. It would be only a matter of seconds before the assault rig commenced. Desperately, he tried to open the door, but the app was having none of it. You're going to die, you're going to die, kept flashing up on the screen every time he pressed the open door icon on his phone. Then he had an idea. It was a crazy idea, but it might just work. He remembered that there was a manual way of opening doors that didn't rely on electricity or the use of a phone. He racked his brain, trying desperately to remember how to do it. He recalled seeing his granddad doing it once, but that was years ago. It was during a fancy dress party when they all pretended to be from the 21st century and did funny things like eat real food that wasn't in pill form and watch 2D videos. <laughs> His granddad, always a bit of a joker, decided to open the door the old-fashioned way and how everyone laughed. How did people live back then? Then the memory came to him. That's right. All you needed to do was push the door handle down and then pull the handle towards him. And the door should, in theory, open. Could this crazy system really work? He had no choice but to try. And quickly, as the kettle was getting up to full boil again. He pressed down on the handle. It was stiff, but it capitulated under the force of his hand. Then, with mounting trepidation, he pulled the door towards him and it opened. He stepped into his office. He assumed that shutting the door must also work in the same way as opening it. He gave it a go, and it worked. But there was no time to bask in his glory, for the kettle had clearly boiled and was now coming for him again. He couldn't override the electricity. He wasn't at that part of the house, and there was no point trying to reach it because he'd be assaulted by the kettle again, and there was no point trying to use the app because he'd be thwarted by the you're-going-to-die message. He'd have to keep going through the house, door by door, opening and closing it manually, hoping that he could eventually reach the front door and assault escape the demented domestic assaults. The drama continued in this manner for quite a while, with other appliances joining in. At one point, there was a noise from the printer which started spitting bits of paper out. There was so much paper that it began to get hemmed into the corner of the room where it was hiding from the rogue kettle. The pieces of paper all said, you're going to die. He began to go crazy and started shouting, fax machine, please, don't do this, fax machine, turn off, turn off. I think my brain started losing the plot here a little bit because I, I very much doubt that the fax machine would have really made a triumphant return in this futuristic age. But perhaps I am wrong. Maybe the fax machine is the one single piece of technology that our distant future descendants hold in high regard, much higher than in fact we did. Perhaps this is a warning in dream form, a vision of the future. Maybe the app kettle is just the start of a very slippery slope. And at the bottom of that slope, where it's built Millions of evil domestic appliances who have conquered the world and have set their former human owners to work for them as slaves. Or maybe it was just a dream. <laughs> <laughs>